Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Your host, Andrew Donaldson. This is Heard Tell. Ah, Heard Tell Show. It's Friday, folks. You made it. March the 11th, the year of our Lord 2022, continues to roll on. We're almost to the weekend, but we got some business to tend to first, turning down the noise of the news cycle. A couple different stories we're going to hit on the program today. I'm Andrew Donaldson. Thank you for joining us. Um, we're going to talk about the spending bill that Congress just passed. Earmarks are back. Oh, baby, everybody going to get a lot of money to their districts just in time for a midterm election. Funny how that works out. I'm going to cover that a little bit. Um, also, going to talk about spiking gas prices. A lot of people say the way to solve that is to go buy an electric vehicle. We're going to talk about why that's not practical for a lot of folks, and you might want to change your tune on how you discuss that. Also, we always end the program on a good note or a happy note. Uh, great story out of a city I absolutely love and adore, San Antonio, Texas, some Ukrainian immigrants running a cheesecake shop, and the people responded, lines around the building, massive money and a massive outpouring of community support to support Ukraine. We'll get into that story a little bit later. Our guest today, Andy Young, a Young Voices contributor, uh, doctor of law guy. He talks about the Federal Trade Commission. The Biden administration is wanting to empower them in conjunction with Congress to do a lot more investigations and regulatory things. They're going to use a lot of big words like antitrust and anti-competition. But is this an appropriate use of government? We're going to get into that with Andy Young. Widespread consumer choice kind of implications of how you buy things online and on retail show shelves. Andy Young on the program today. But I want to start here. Let's go big picture for a second. Have you ever heard the term fuel load? Now, if you grew up in the woods like I did, in the mountains, uh, forest fires are a problem. Remember, Smokey Bear, only you can prevent forest fires. That's true. Uh, don't do stupid stuff. Most forest fires start because of dumb things. Now, so- sometimes they're ma- not man-made. They're lightning strikes, or you have out in California where PG&E sets half the state on fire being negligent, but only you can prevent forest fires. Well, the indicator for forest fire is something called fuel load. Fuel load is exactly what it sounds like, fuel for the fire. There's all kinds of stuff on the ground, dead wood dead trees, shrubbery, leaves, fallen pine needles, anything that can burn and pile up adds to the chance that you're going to have a catastrophic forest fire. So what they do is, because when you have a forest fire, you don't really put them out. You just contain them until they burn themselves out. You can't do a whole lot with forest fires. And we've seen how destructive they are. You want to prevent them. And you prevent them by managing the fuel load. When the fuel load starts getting high, you can go in and clean it up. You can do controlled burns sometimes things like this to mitigate the danger. I'm struck thinking about this and bring up fuel load because almost all the major problems in our headlines right now probably could have been mitigated if we would have recognized the fuel load of those crises. Crisis in Ukraine, 
Russia invading them. They've been involved in Syria. They've been involved in Crimea. They've been involved in Ukraine. They've been involved in Chechnya. They've been involved in Georgia. There was a lot of fuel load laying on the ground that told us that something like this was happening. In fact, we had direct intelligence since at least November, according to the president himself. The fuel load. Could we have done things to mitigate this, to avoid it altogether? What about domestic politics? Well, we're talking a lot about gas prices. We've talked about it on this show over and over again. Gas prices are a lagging indicator. Fuel load. What was it in the economy and in the world markets that maybe could have been avoided beforehand? And now the Russian crisis is pushing it even higher, but we're starting from a higher place for that increase to kick in. Fuel load. What about culturally? All the cultural problems we're having, race issues, issues with polarized politics, tribalism, things like this, a media environment where people only have to listen to what they want to hear. Fuel load. There was a lot of stuff laying on the ground that told us that these were going to be issues and they were going to come to a head. Things like January 6th and things like people thinking stolen elections happened when they didn't. Those don't happen in a vacuum. They happen in a sequence. There was a lot of fuel load laying on the ground of people getting bad information, of people being duped. One thing about the January 6th people that are up on trial now, almost to the person when they go up, they say, we didn't realize the bigger picture. We were con. Now they may just be saying that to get out of the charges. But I think a lot of them are being honest. They got down in a tunnel where they were only getting one kind of information and not a broad perspective, and it suckered them in. But we could see people doing that. There was a lot of fuel load on the ground. And in this election year, with the midterms coming, with Congress on the line, there's a lot of fuel load on the ground that we're in for a lot of ugly. The way people are treating each other, the issues at hand, the crises involved. All these things in the media we talk about being reactionary. We're reacting to the force fire. We react in horror to the destruction. And we realize that all we can do is mitigate the damage because it's too late to stop it. I would encourage us in our media consumption to start looking at the fuel load, start looking at things before they become a problem. We know when the rhetoric's getting too hot. We know when people are outright lying and falsifying and telling untruthy things. We know when people are bad actors and bad faith actors because they're just on the grift for the money or for their ideology, and they're purposely helping people and distorting the truth. That's all fuel load for the headlines of tomorrow that we can see today. Maybe we should pay more attention to the fuel load laying on the ground in our culture and politics, and we could prevent some of these massive forest fires of destruction that are ripping through our country, our community, and our world. Nobody likes fuel load maintenance. It's dirty work going out and raking up pine leaves. It's dirty work doing a controlled burn to do minor destruction to prevent worse destruction. But information is power, and power is responsibility. You hold a cell phone in your hand, you have all the information you need to know what's going on. Do the dirty work. Check out the fuel load of what's going to happen tomorrow. Maybe you can even prevent it. Because when it comes to forest fires or the bad headlines of tomorrow, only you can prevent forest fires. That's oversimplified. But it's somewhere to at least start. And at least you can say you tried if the world really does burn itself down. More Hurtel right after this.
Uh, welcome back to Herd Tell. Uh, there's a narrative that's starting to form, and we're going to hear a ton of it. Uh, we're already seeing it on social media. We're already seeing it in network news media. We're going to see it in print commentary a lot. And it goes something like this. Gas prices are going through the roof. So electric vehicles are going to fly off the lots and into people's driveways. People are going to avoid high gas prices by buying electric vehicles. No, they're not. All right. The problem with electric vehicles is still the same, even if gas prices go up. Now, I understand because I kind of means tested this a little bit on social media, got a lot of pushback, wound up in a couple of disagreements with folks. That's okay. That's part of the game. So I understand I'm going to have to take the slow path here. So we're going to talk slow and use small words so all the folks in Addison can understand and keep up. People who cannot afford 4 and $5 gas or that 4 and $5 gas and that kind of a gas increase greatly stretches their family and household budgets to the fact that they have to start adjusting how they do things, are not going to solve their problem paying for 4 and $5 a gas, gallon of gas by going out and buying a $400 or $40 or $50,000 electric vehicle. You are not going to solve $5 gallon gas by buying a $50,000 vehicle to save money on gas. Is everybody on the same page here of how the latter is not a solution to the former? Yes, an electric vehicle, you save money on gas. But part of the reason electric vehicles aren't more popular is the price of admission are high. Now, I know all the Tesla fanboys are going to come rolling out of the woodwork and send me all these stats about all. Listen, it's expensive. The used car market for the last two years has been a mess. You can't even get used cars at price now. They're all overpriced because there's scarcity to them. There's a automotive shortage because of microchips and supply chain issues and other things. Cars are already getting expensive. The way you want to try to convince people to switch to electric vehicles is not to beat them over the head and conjole them that they need to go buy what is for most of them a luxury price tag item vehicle. The cheapest Tesla is 40 some grand and that's base model. That's before you put anything on it. $50,000 is an expensive car to most Americans, and it's out of reach for most Americans. And telling them to deal with high gas prices that are stretching their family budget by buying something that is out of their physical reach is very condescending. And it sounds condescending because it is condescending. Come up with a better argument. There's a way to discuss things like electric vehicles. I'm not against the technology, but we're jumping way ahead of ourselves thinking that we're going to replace all the electric vehicles. And by the way, Those batteries come from somewhere. The raw materials that go into those batteries come from somewhere. You might want to do your research and make sure while you're railing against fossil fuels, which has plenty of downside, that you're not swapping one problem for another problem before you fully realized it. And by the way, all those dazzling uh, mileage statistics, that doesn't count in battery degradation. There's technology on these batteries that are not fully known yet. They need to get better than what they are right now. Some people just cannot have the lifestyle that fits these electric vehicles and they don't have the pocketbook for it. So quit browbeating them. Talk to them. You can fight your corner if you're a big fan of electric vehicles. That's fine. But don't be condescending about it and tell people that can't afford $5 gas that the way to solve all their problems is to buy a $50,000 vehicle that they also can't afford because now you're just being a jerk about it. More Hurtel right after this.
Ah, welcome back to Herd Tell. This is going to be fun. We're going to dig into a little bit of government bureaucracy and regulation. Yay, everybody loves to do this. Uh, I don't know if two wrongs make a right, but we're going to hope two Andys make great content. Our friend Andy Young, Young Voices contributor, uh, he has a doctorate of law. He studies this stuff. Uh, how are you, sir? Good morning. Thank you for spending some time with us. I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me. Let's start with some nomenclature here because you know, once again, we have a term that gets thrown around FTC, one of those, the famous three letter uh, agencies, uh, Federal Trade Commission. Let's just start with the basic nomenclature here. What is it and where did it come from? Because it's kind of a unique agency because it's an independent agency, but it's got overlap with DOJ. It, it, it really is kind of an outlier in the federal government, isn't it? Yes. So the FTC stands for Federal Trade Commission. It's an independent government agency, as you mentioned. It was created by Congress in 1914, and Congress gave it a few very specific responsibilities. More or less, the FTC oversees unfair methods of competition. It also polices unfair and deceptive acts or practices. And third, it polices anti-competitive deals, so it blocks mergers that will hurt consumers. Now, we hear the term anti-competitive and antitrust. These get thrown around. You know, it, it's almost like HIPAA or something on Twitter. It gets used for absolutely everything. But these have actually really, really specific legal meanings. So before we delve into all that, just real quick, the corruption statutes that this was built off of, antitrust, what are we actually talking about with those terminologies? So in terms of the FTC, it really focuses on harm to consumers. So when I talk about anti-competitive deals and anti-competitive conduct, I'm talking about conduct by corporations and firms that then goes and harms consumers. And that harm usually takes the form of increased prices. So a merger that would then raise prices on consumers would be anti-competitive. Talking to Andy Young from Young Voices. Um, so one thing about this when we were digging into it and doing a little prep work for this is this agency actually has really widespread and quite powerful uh, surveillance and investigative and oversight power, but a lot of that power it really hasn't historically used a lot of, and that kind of brings us up to the modern times of you were writing a National Review about it, where uh, some of our Congress folks and senators have noticed that they have all this kind of power, and they kind of want to start focusing it in other areas than its traditional uh, oversight, don't they? They do, and I think we're talking specifically about the new prohibition that Congress is trying to enact on self-preferencing. Is that correct? That is. Go ahead and explain that to uh, explain it to me like I'm five. The audience already knows all this stuff, I'm sure. But just walk me through it real nice and slow to make sure I've got it right. Sure. So Congress has introduced a new bill. It's called the American Innovation and Choice Online Act. The main crux of that bill is to make it illegal for large technology companies to do what's called self-preferencing. Uh, Self-preferencing is when a large technology company favors its own product or services. So for example, if you do a Google search for a restaurant, Google places its Google Maps results at the very top of that search. That would be an example of self-preferencing. Another example is Amazon web searches. If you search for a product on Amazon, sometimes Amazon places its Amazon basic item that it manufactures there at the top of the search that would also fall under the definition of self-preferencing. Right. And that's online, of course. That principle at like, for example, a grocery store would be what gets put on the front of the shelf, what gets put on an end cap, that sort of thing. It's kind of the same concept, isn't it? 
It is. Yeah, we're all pretty familiar with this. I think we usually refer to it as generic products. Walmart has generic products. CVS has generic products. Uh, but once you put it onto the internet, Congress calls it self-preferencing. And of course, the road that leads down to, and you know, the word trade commissions in the title of this organization. So let's just back up and cover that real quick. If you st- you're going to get into almost a price control situation really, really quickly, because the whole idea of the generics is it's supposed to be a little bit cheaper. If you start picking and choosing things like that, now you're messing around with the market level pricing of it. Correct. If you make it harder for these firms to make generic products which that they can then offer at lower prices, or you make it harder for them to promote these cheap products, they'll stop building them and consumers will lose access to these cheaper options. Now, this is where your piece in National Review, when you went to write about this, the history of this organization, the Federal Trade Commission, how do we get to where they want to start picking and choosing what's on a shelf or what Amazon or Facebook or whoever puts on the front of their web pages? How does that tie into antitrust, which was kind of the core principle and anti-competition that was the core principle of this agency? That seems like a big gap that got filled. I'm assuming that didn't happen overnight. There was some mission creep in there somewhere. Yeah, there has arguably, arguably been some mission creep in one specific regard that's, that's caught my attention. And that's that the uh, traditional unfair methods of competition and anti-competitive conduct. Uh, in those cases, the FTC was focused on protecting consumers, like I mentioned, making sure that prices don't go up. But in this case, in the, tr- in the case of self-preferencing, as we mentioned, self-preferencing conduct actually often creates lower prices for consumers. So in this case, with this bill, Congress is asking the FTC to shift its attention away from protecting consumers and keeping prices low to instead uh, protect other competitors that are trying to compete on these platforms like Amazon and Google. And the Congress is now asking the FTC to protect those smaller competitors from this self-preferencing conduct, uh, which is taking the FTC's eye off of the ball in terms of using its resources to protect consumers. Yeah, talking to Andy Young from Young Voices. It's important to note why you say taking their eye off the ball, because there's been some questionable stuff with this organization as far as their resources, as far as what they're able to do and not do. Um, you detailed pretty extensively over uh, recent history here because, you know, you have congressional oversight. So these people have to testify publicly by their own admission. They're having trouble just maintaining their core mission right now, aren't they? They certainly are. And again, like you said, these are all quotes coming from the agency itself. So on, on August 3rd, last summer, the agency cited a tidal wave of merger filings that is straining the agency's capacity. Uh, the agency has also gone through some staff, losses of staff, including its chief economist recently and some members of the agency that are involved with some of the litigation that the agency is doing. The agency also has several rulemakings open to pass regulations in different parts of the economy. So the FTC certainly has its hands full without even having to deal with self-preferencing on the internet. Why, why is it the overturn? Is it just the, uh, the drain in federal employees we've been seeing everywhere? Is it a labor shortage? What's the problem with the FTC specifically? Uh, we, we understand we all knock the bureaucracy of government and we, you know, rightly so. But there's got to be some specific thing about this particular agency. Why, why are they having trouble with this? Why are they short staff? Is there one or two things that's actually causing this beyond just normal machinations of bureaucracy? Yeah, it's, it's common enough to see 
staff turnover when there's a change in administration, like there was from the Trump administration to the Biden administration. But in this case, we're seeing much higher turnover than you would usually see in that case. And that probably has to do with the new fairly extreme direction that the FTC has gone in the last eight months. Uh, the FTC has said that it wants to set out to change the, the way that it regulates mergers and oversees the U.S. economy and has indirectly criticized senior staff on the FTC for being passive in the past where now the agency wants to be active. So I think there is some discontentment among the staff and some senior staff feel they've been criticized and that's leading to turnover. Now, to my unlearned ear, when I start hearing about a government agency that we've already established has pretty extraordinary investigatory and regulatory powers, they even have surveillance powers over a lot of company. They have overlap with the DOJ on a lot of things. When I start hearing terms like aggressive, this doesn't sound like a regulatory agency that's looking to call balls and strikes and referee the economy as kind of a neutral party. This seems like they, they're looking to be the protagonist and to drive things the way they see that they want to go, or more specifically, the administration that they answer to. Yes, from both the leadership in the FTC and from the Biden administration, both have signaled that they want to go after large technology companies. They've identified them as an enemy. And in that way, they're no longer calling balls and strikes. They're no longer neutral observers. They've picked the companies they want to go after. And they're picking the kinds of harm that they think these companies are causing in the, in the economy, such as self-preferencing. As I mentioned, it's a pretty novel theory of harm as far as antitrust goes. So yeah, they are trying to push enforcement in the direction that they think it needs to go. Is this the perfect storm of when you have a, uh, an administration in the Biden administration, not picking on them, that's just who's in the chair at the moment. Um, when you have the Biden administration saying that we're going to go after these tech companies and then you have an agency that's saying, well, we're under-resourced, this turns into the perfect storm of, oh, well, we can do this stuff and we can start getting those resources that we wanted because now we have a new mission statement and now we're the shiny new toy for funding and all those sort of things. We, we just kind of got to be adults and say this is kind of how government works sometimes, isn't it? Agreed. And I agree that there's no reason to beat up on the Biden administration, the prior Trump administration maybe even started uh, this, this criticism of the technology companies. So it does go across both administrations. And I agree that we are heading towards a situation where, the, where Congress can tell the FTC, we want you to accomplish X, Y, and Z goals. Oh, you don't have the resources to accomplish your responsibilities. Well, we can give you the resources you need. Just be sure that you follow uh, our roadmap for what we want you to regulate. And that's getting away from the independent agency model that the FTC is supposed to follow. Yeah, we're talking to Andrew Young. Andy Young, sorry. I'm an Andrew. I keep saying Andrew. Andy Young, Young Voices contributor, uh, knows this stuff backwards and forwards. We're going to continue with him right after the break. We're going to get back into the American Innovation and Choice on OnLAC. We're also going to talk about how these agencies actually work a little bit, uh, from the hearings to the regulatory practices. More with Andy Young right after this on Hurt Tip.
Ah, welcome back to Hurt Tell. Thanks for staying with us. We got Andy Young, Young Voices contributor, uh, talking a little bit about tech regulation and the FTC. That's the Federal Trade Commission, for those of you playing along at home. Uh, let's talk some bare bones here real quick. The only time folks really see the workings of these agencies are congressional hearings. This is something you cover a lot. You live tweet them, which is fun sometimes. Normally, we see the hearings that turn into clown shows because those are the one, you know, nomination hearings, uh, hot button issues. But you cover these hearings that are a little bit more mundane. But that's really the only time the public gets to see kind of the inner workings of these organizations like the FTC, isn't it? It is in certain ways. Uh, the FTC is public in some regards in that, like I mentioned, it's currently running some rulemaking and regulate uh some rulemaking sessions to create regulations. And in doing that, the FTC asked for public comment. So in a sense, that's a very transparent, open process. But on the other end, we don't necessarily get to see which comments the FTC responds to and takes seriously and what actually goes into the final regulations that come out. So you're correct that these hearings where the FTC testifies in front of Congress or where the agency ask the technology companies to submit information to them are the only real indications we have of their agenda and what their attitudes are towards these companies. Yeah. Talking to Andy Young, he's the legal fellow at Tech Freedom. Um, another, along those lines, we talk about Congress and oversight, and we already talked about it a little bit with the FTC, but I think it bears mentioning that they have overlap with DOJ. They're semi-independent, but they they're not under like the Department of the Treasury or DOG DOJ specifically. So when they come up to Congress, it's really them and then the administration. There's not the layers that some of these other organizations have when they come up to Congress to testify, and that changes how they get oversight, doesn't it? It does. The FTC has a certain amount of coordination that I can do with the administration. We've already seen it with Biden's executive order directing the FTC to focus on certain matters. And in that sense, the agency is getting directions directly from the executive branch and Congress has a little bit less control and oversight. Now, you are a legal fellow, so put your legal hat on for a second. Anytime we have a government agency, um, I don't know if expanding is the right word, but for lack of a better word, expanding their reach and their focus and looking to kind of do a new thing. At some point, some of this stuff, especially bumping up against major corporations that have deep pockets, that have you know armies of attorneys and lawyers and lobbyists, some of this at some point is going to wind up in court and there's going to be legal pushback on some of this somewhere, isn't there? Uh, yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that. Um, if, if there's not much oversight currently of the FTC from Congress, we might expect to see some pushback down the line from the courts and from the judicial branch. And... Um, the American Innovation and Choice Online Act empowers the FTC to bring these self-preferencing cases to federal court. That's the way where they will end up eventually. And it's definitely possible that in these federal courts, the judicial branch could turn around and look at what the FTC is currently trying to accomplish and compare that to the FTC's intended mission and say, there's been some mission creep here and it'll cut the agency back to size. That's a possibility. See, we talk about, you know, those of us like me that just sit and commentate and observe on stuff and throw gas on the Internet all day long. We talk about, you know, legislating from the bench and judicial activism and those things, and, and those can be bad in most cases. 
But in a case like this, it, it's almost become by design because there's a gap there. So when you have a, an organization like the FTC that has kind of an ambiguous oversight process, it's almost inevitable in it that this is going to wind up in court and the courts are going to, especially federal courts, they're going to end up putting the guardrails on what they can and can't do. And that's not always best for the agency itself. And that's not always best for the consumers and the people of the country, is it? No, it's interesting the way it might play out. And it depends how you look at it. Uh, some might call the ultimate situation of courts reigning in the FTC uh, judicial oversight or you know the courts uh, legislating from the bench. But from a different perspective, you could call it federalism. And you could look at it as the courts keeping the executive branch and the legislative branch in their respective departments and keeping the powers separate to a certain extent. And in that case, it could be good for consumers. But ultimately, uh, it's kind of unclear the way it's going to play out. Staying along that line of thought for just a second, though, is, is there some gap here where the legislative branch should be involved? Uh, we know they're putting this act in, but the act is basically, hey, the government agency needs to go do all this on their own. Uh, is, is this one of those things where the legislative branch is maybe <laughs> they're writing a bill to get something done, but they're also passing the buck on how it's going to get done? That's not particularly healthy either, is it? No, I definitely agree. I think Congress should approach this in two ways. Either Congress should let the FTC focus on its more salient responsibilities, like I mentioned, which is protecting consumers, and sort of let the self-preferencing continue to be studied and don't pass any laws on that quite yet. Or second, Congress should commit to regulating self-preferencing and give the agency more resources so that it can actually study self-preferencing, learn the ways that it harms consumers, and tailor that the tailor the way the agency enforces the bill to protecting consumers and taking care of any harms that result from self-preferencing. At the moment, the agency, the Congress, saying to the agency, "You don't have the resources to police this, but police it anyways." Which sounds horrible. And then when you think about the fact that there's a lot of government power that can be brought to bear behind that threat, that sounds even more horrible to me. Um, I, I don't know what the good answer is. You had a couple of conclusions in your piece when you wrote about it in National Review. Uh, what, what's some of the answers here, uh, both to the American Innovation and Choice Online Act, but also structurally what it says about the FTC, some FTC, I should say, some of the things we should be working towards to maybe fix some of these issues? I think the FTC should study self-preferencing much more carefully, identify some very specific harms that result from self-preferencing that are backed up by data and economics, and then create some very tailored regulations that prevent those specific forms of self-preferencing that result in harm to consumers. If we're just going to, I don't think the current path that Congress has taken, which is a broad prohibition on self-preferencing by large technology companies, is going to accomplish anything that will protect consumers. Yeah. And you're talking about specific things. You're talking about data-driven points there. The actual language in the act itself is, quote, strong and flexible tools. But this is broad, broad stroke legislation. That doesn't say strong and flexible tools to me. That doesn't say focus to me. I see a problem here where the rhetoric is not matching the black and white of the actual act. I know we've had other people on this program. We've talked about it. What they're saying in the committees and what they're saying in the pitching of this act is not matching up the black and white of how it's going to be enforced, is it? I agree. And like we talked about at the beginning of this conversation, 
Self-preferencing is another word for generic products. And I think most of us would agree that we buy generic products and they are ultimately helpful to us and other consumers. And so Congress says that we are going to protect consumers by enabling the FTC to crack down on self-preferencing, but ultimately they're not protecting consumers. And so the rhetoric does not match up with ultimately what will occur under the act. Yeah. And a way to kind of loop this back to where we started, uh, we've all, we've already established you like, you're one of these glutton for punishments like me. You like to actually watch these congressional hearings. Uh, We know all the viral clips from like the Facebook hearings and the tech hearings with Twitter and other things where the, you know, the senators don't really understand how it works and it's really apparent fast. Does Congress just not have a good handle on what the modern consumer is with the online, the multiple methods of, of doing things now? It sure feels almost like the tech thing where they don't understand how Twitter works and they don't understand how Facebook works. I, I just really wonder if Congress doesn't have a good grip on how much consumerism has changed in the last 10, 15 years in the smartphone era. Yeah, it seems like as a whole, the federal government is grappling with its understanding of technology and how it wants to define certain terms across the American economy. And specifically, I think Republicans and Democrats are actually talking past one another and they have different goals in mind. I think Republicans see a bill like this as punishing technology companies and making it more difficult for them to do things like kick President Trump off of Twitter. Uh, that I think they would see that as a form of self-preferencing against their own views. Whereas I think Democrats are interested in economic self-preferencing, like we discussed, making sure that small vendors on Amazon Marketplace have the same visibility as Amazon Basic products. And so those are two fundamentally different concerns. And so um, if Republicans want to accomplish X and Democrats want to accomplish Y with this bill, I think it's going to actually accomplish Z and we'll get neither of the outcomes that they want. And to be fair to the FTC, because you know, I, I don't think it's fair for us to advocate for better government if we don't give them an avenue to be better. Uh, is it fair to the FTC what we're asking them to do here? Because is this going to pull them away from their core competency? And is that going to let things that really are important, like some real antitrust that's out there? Because let's be honest, there's lots of companies that want to push. They're always pushing the boundaries because that's what they do. Is, is there a danger here that you're going to overstretch this organization and they're going to miss some of the important stuff of their core competency that they should be paying attention to? That's definitely my main concern. The FTC is ultimately a good agency. It plays a vital role in the U.S. economy, whether it's reviewing mergers or promulgating rules to protect consumers. Uh, For now, distracting the agency by asking it to look at dubious prohibitions against self-preferencing, which might not even hurt consumers, then some anti-competitive mergers, which should have been looked at more carefully, are much more likely to slip through the cracks. Or some rulemaking, which opposed to improve the U.S. economy will actually be not as thought through as it should have and will end up harming the U.S. economy. Those are definitely my concerns. Yeah, Andy Young from Tech Freedom joining us. All right, uh, we've been bashing on Congress pretty hard here. Been talking about how they don't really understand what they're doing. Give me some good news. Uh, You follow this stuff. Is there good tech news in Congress, either legislatively or just overall conversation? Is there any good news on the horizon of how our representatives are looking at technology and the expansion of, and I, I know we talk about regulation as a bad thing, but some things do need regulated. So give us some good news somewhere in here to end this up on. Well, I think this is good news, but it depends who you ask. So I think we're headed towards a national privacy bill, which would put Uh, rules in place for how companies are allowed to collect and 
use data from consumers and those rules would apply a crash ac across the entire national economy. I think that's an improvement over where we currently are. Currently, Congress is trying to use antitrust law to fix things such as consumer privacy. And I don't think it's going to work out. I think there's going to be unintended consequences like we've discussed. But the good news is that certain parts of Congress and the federal government are getting more focused on those specific harms. One of those specific harms, I would argue, are harms to consumer privacy and data security. And it sounds like we're starting to address those with a much more clear vision these days. So I'm happy about that. Yeah. Uh, things like tech... Uh tech literacy in the Congress and the Senate, uh, one of those things that's going to happen gradually, then suddenly, I believe. So we'll keep on top of it. Andy Young, great information today, sir. Let folks know about your social media, your writing, what you're doing at Tech Freedom so they can continue to follow you. I am on Twitter. Follow me at Andy Young Tech. I'm a legal fellow at Tech Freedom. Follow our work at techfreedom.org. I have a piece on National Review called Overextending the FTC. That's what we discussed today. I also have a new piece on Real Clear Markets, also talking about the FTC that came out this morning. So go check that out as well. Fantastic. We will link all that stuff in the show notes so folks can find it. Andy Young, I'm sure we're going to be talking about tech for the rest of our lifetimes. So hopefully sooner than that, we'll have you back on and we'll hash this out again, my friend. Thank you for your time today. This was great fun. Thanks so much. Yes, sir. Thank you. Back to her tell somewhere in the afterlife robert c bird is laughing uh earmarks are back ladies and gentlemen we covered on the program yesterday that they were going to jam through i'm talking about congress here uh a 1.5 trillion dollar 2700 page uh omnibus bill yeah because there's a deadline of course of course it's a deadline that's their own fault and their own making and then they jam all this stuff in it but part of that is earmarks are back baby um, the way of Congress people getting lots and lots of money right back to their home uh, districts. Uh, Chris Chazilla writing in CNN calls it this way. Congress just got its secret weapon back as the head mark. Uh, need an example? He goes to my wheelhouse, West Virginia. Drive through West Virginia and you'll see all sorts of highways and byways named after Robert C. Byrd, the long-serving senator from the Martin Mountain State. Uh, there, the list is 39 official things last time I checked it, including high schools, bridges, roads, all sorts of things. Technical center, job vocational center. Uh, that's not counting his wife, who has the cancer center at Marshall University, Huntington Hospital named after her. The list goes on and on. Uh, earmarks have long, this is Chris Gazil and CNN, have long been part of the legislation process as a ways to grease the wheel of bill passing, but beginning in earnest with Arizona Senator John McCain's 2008 campaign for president, earmarks began being regarded as a bad thing. McCain was a longtime opponent of earmarks, known derisively as pork, and would regularly call out what he believed to be over-the-top pet projects inserted into bills by lawmakers. $233 million for a bridge to nowhere, intoned a narrator in a campaign ad by McCain. Outrageous. $3 million. There's a long list of these. Uh, everybody does it. You're just changing terminology. You're not really fooling anywhere. 
And I'm sure Senator McCain, God rest his soul, was well-meaning, but his campaign financing reform and his end-of-year marks, I would argue, actually made more trouble than problems they solved, but that's for another day. Uh, when Republicans retook the House majority in that election, talking about the Baynard uh, Congress, himself a longtime opponent of pork barrel spending saw his chance. Part of the Republicans' 2010 campaign for Congress, they targeted the elimination of earmarks and got it out, and they got rid of earmarks entirely while Bonner was Speaker of the House. Crash on down. There was also a big scandal with Duke Cunningham was why they were trying to distance themselves, so it gave him a little bit of public, political cover. However, now earmarks are back, closing the piece. The simple fact is that without earmarks in the modern political climate, congressional leadership has no tools to cajole and convince lawmakers to be for anything. The default position for everything has been no obstruction on everything has been the order of the day. Now, just because earmarks are back doesn't mean legislation will be rolling through the Congress, but it does mean that party leaders now have at least some real ability to persuade their members on key bills, which makes a world of difference. Uh, long story short, everybody hates the smoke field backroom dealings till you need something done. And then when nothing's getting done, all of a sudden you realize you might need some backroom dealings. Well, earmarks is back. Now we're going to have to hold people accountable to it. There'll be lots of abuse because they're Congress critters. That's what they do. They abuse us for their own means. But maybe something will get done. Something to keep an eye on now that we jam through yet another $1.5 trillion stimulus, omnibus, legislative, fund the government, the nomenclature change. It's the same old, same old. They stuck a lot of stuff in here just to get it done. And one of them was earmarks. It will change how Congress goes forward. Keep an eye on it, folks. More Hertel right after this. Welcome back to Hertel. You know, we always like to end on a good note. And I love, love, love this story for a lot of reasons. One is it's out of San Antonio, a city I love. I've spent a lot of time in. Uh, since the Russian invasion began, this is the Washington Post. Anna Afaniza, I'm butchering this name horribly. I'm sorry. It's got a whole lot of vowels in it. Has been heartsick to worry for her parents and sister who live in Odessa in southern Ukraine. I felt desperate to do something, said Afanasiva. 28, I hope that's right, who grew in Odessa but has lived in San Antonio in recent years. She and a small staff at the Cheesecake Bakery she co-owns decided there was only one thing to do, buy all the ingredients they could and work around the clock making cheesecakes, then donate the money from the sales back to the home war effort. I'm sorry, our friend Kimberly Ross, this is a cheesecake story for the good of humanity. You're just going to have to deal with it, my friend. Our kitchen is super tiny, maybe 200 square feet, uh, said Afanesia. I'm still probably saying this wrong. That's third try. And her bakery, Lackia Cheesecake and Espresso, it's linked in the piece. We have 20 employees and we were baking nonstop to keep up. Once she put out the word on Facebook, people came by the thousands. I couldn't believe it. It was like all of San Antonio showed up. She said, there is a picture. This is in a uh, kind of a strip mall kind of building. The line is all the way down the sidewalk. It's really impressive to look at. Uh, she and her employees spend day and night baking and decorating miniature cheesecakes while customers buy by the jar, by the slice, or in six packs. Within hours, the cheesecake line wrapped around several blocks, and by late afternoon, people were waiting up to four hours, she said. 
tired today and sold out, but I'll be back tomorrow. Love you and your families. One woman commented on the Facebook page. There are still compassionate people in the world, wrote another. Beautiful job on your cheesecakes, another one wrote. My book club came as a group and definitely enjoyed it. Lots of comments like this, but down at the bottom uh, for two years. Afanasivia, Afanasivia. All right, that's five tries. I still can't get it wrong. I apologize. You deserve better, but we're going to press on. Has co-owned Lakia, a popular dessert spot in San Antonio suburbs of Alamo Heights. The cafe is known for miniature cheesecake in jars. They come in more than 20 flavors, including raspberry, white chocolate, toffle turtle, and tiramisu. She opened the bakery and cafe. See there, I just went with the pronoun <laughs> with a friend about eight years ago after she came to the United States as a foreign exchange student and decided to apply for legal residency. When I learned that Ukraine was under attack, I realized the only way for me to help my parents and others in Ukraine was to buy more ingredients, sell more cheesecake, and donate the money. Her and her business partner, Victor Krisma, contributed the earnings from everything they sold in the cafe between February 25th and the 27th to fund a soldier's resistance effort. By the time she and Krisma closed the shop on the 27th, about 3,000 San Antonians had purchased more than 4,500 jars or slices of cheesecake and had donated money to the top of their purchases, bringing the total to more than $72,000 to help Ukrainian soldiers. The number has since climbed to over 100,000 as people continue to donate to their website. All of the links, there's pictures in this Washington Post article. I'm sure you can go to their website directly. Um, the city of Odessa, uh, for those of you not keeping up with the news, that's the southern port city. It's a city of a million people. The Russians have an amphibious attack force off the coast, whether they actually landed there and attacked the city or not. It's a little bit up in the air, maybe a diversion. Maybe they're going to assault the city. Uh, it's a bad, bad situation, even inside of what is already horrific inside of the war crimes going on in Ukraine, perpetrated by Vladimir Putin and the Russian army. But this is some good news of people here doing it. San Antonio is a wonderful city. I love it. I've spent a lot of time there when I was in the military. Great story. And that'll do it for her to tell today. Hope you and yours are well wherever you are. And we appreciate you watching on the YouTube channel, on the Big Talkers Facebook page. If you're listening on any of the podcasting platforms, make sure you subscribe, please. That lets us keep track of who's doing what, lets us know what content you want and don't want. You can leave comments and ratings. You can contact us that way. Contact us directly. This is a partnership. We love to cover stories that you want us to look into. Uh, Show at gmail.com, at Show on the Twitter. Also, myself and all our guests, their Twitter handles are in the lower third graphics. Make sure you reach out. We'd love to participate. We'll put you on the show. Keep your bearing. Uh, be nice about it, but we'd love to cover the topics. And we have multiple times already, and we will continue as we try to turn down the noise of the news cycle and bring you good information going forward. So uh, enjoy your weekend. We will see you right back here Monday for more Herd Tell, wherever you and yours are across the street around the world. Hope you're well. Hope you are well fed. We'll see you Monday for more Herd Tell. All the music on Herd Tell is provided under a creative content license from MonsterCat.com. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.